Hello, and welcome to the Parabiblica for the Perplexed, a podcast that takes a scholarly look at the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha and explains them simply. This episode will be covering the various non-canonical psalms. Now, Psalms as a book is unique because rather than being a history or the prophecies attributed to a specific individual, Psalms is an anthology. It includes 150 separate works written across hundreds of years and potentially many different locations. But all of these works share the same genre, poems of divine praise. This genre was popular across the ancient Near East, and there were many more than the 150 Judean Psalms presented in the Masoretic some of which have been preserved or rediscovered by other means. Most famous of these are the five apocryphal psalms of David. Scholars are unsure of the exact dates of these psalms, but most probably date to the mid-second temple period. These five psalms are only found together in the Syriac Bible known as the Pshita, which may have been translated from an earlier Hebrew than today's Masoretic. The first of these psalms, known as Psalm 151, is unique in that it is also found in the Greek Septuagint. Despite existing in these two sources as a single psalm, it is actually a fusion of two earlier psalms, Psalms 151a and 151b, which I'll discuss later. Like many psalms, it is attributed to David, and somewhat tells his story, beginning with a depiction of being chosen as king and ending with a brief description of his battle with Goliath. The Septuagint also contains an entire work known as the Psalms of Solomon, which I will likely cover in a future episode. Psalms 152 and 153 form sort of a pair, and were likely written by one author during the Maccabean period. They both attribute themselves to David, and relate the story of him saving a lamb from a lion and a wolf, a story alluded to in Shmuel Aleph by David to Shaul, and mentioned again in the previous psalm. Psalm 152 introduces itself as a prayer David said while fighting the animals, while 153 claims to be a psalm of praise he recited after defeating them. They both contain strong themes of being in distress and calling to God for deliverance, themes unsurprisingly rampant in Maccabean-era Judean texts. They interestingly mention Sheol, the biblical concept of death, which may suggest that Jewish ideas of reward and punishment afterlife had yet to develop or become mainstream. Next is Psalm 154, which in addition to being in the Pshita, is also present in the Great Psalm Scroll. This psalm attributes itself to King Chizkiyahu while he was besieged, presumably referring to the Assyrian invasion. In content, it is relatively similar to many Masoretic psalms, urging the reader to glorify and serve God. It is likely older than the previous two psalms. The final psalm in the Pshita is 155 which introduces itself as a psalm recited by the returning Judeans after Cyrus the Great had allowed them to return to Judea. It is generally similar to the Masoretic Psalms, with a focus on requesting guidance from God, matching its introduction as a psalm of those returning to a different land. Both this psalm and Psalm 154 are found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and specifically the Great Psalm Scroll. The Great Psalm Scroll known as 11Q5, is in my opinion one of the most interesting scrolls of the Dead Sea Scrolls. In addition to containing many out-of-order Masoretic psalms, it also contains numerous pre-discovered pseudepigraphical psalms, compositions found nowhere else, and even a few poetic pieces of other books, such as the poem in the 51st chapter of Ben Sira and David's final words as presented in Shmuel Aleph. 
It also contains a brief, non-poetic overview of David's works, claiming that he had written a total of 3,600 psalms and some other songs. There are not quite that many psalms in this scroll, but there are quite a few that are not present in the Miseratic. The first of these psalms is a cantina on Psalm 118. It is composed almost entirely of verses from Psalm 118, but there are a few things that indicate that it is more likely its own composition, and not just a wildly different version than the Miseratic, as is somewhat frequent in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It contains an entirely new verse, praising trust in God over trust in a thousand. It occurs in the scroll after a more familiar version of Psalm 118, which is perhaps the most convincing argument to its originality. It was most likely composed after and based on Psalm 118, but some scholars believe it may preserve an earlier psalm that 118 adapted into a larger work. The next original psalm in the scroll has been named by scholars the plea for deliverance, based on its introductory line. It is, like the name suggests, a plea for divine aid, though it also contains a portion thanking God for past salvation. It is relatively similar structure-wise to the Mesoratic psalms, working in a great deal of praise of God. It also contains a request or protection from Satan, which may suggest a mid-second temple period date. The next original psalm is the Apostrophe to Zion, a joint promise of and prayer for redemption and strengthening of, of Zion. Its slight apocalyptic theme may suggest an origin specifically within the Qumran community or the larger Essene community, although these themes are also found in older texts like the Nevi'im Achronim, the Latter Prophets, and Echa, Lamentations. The next original psalm, Hymn to the Creator, has only been partially preserved in the scroll, the latter part having been lost. Of what survives, it is a pretty standard psalm of praise similar to many found in the Mesoratic. It recounts various miracles having occurred at creation or daily. Because of its similarity with many Mesoratic psalms, it most likely has a pre-Second Temple period date. The scroll ends with Psalms 151a and 151b, which would later be edited together into the aforementioned Psalm 151, present in both the Septuagint and the Pshita. The first of these, Psalm 151a, contains more material than its associated content in Psalm 151, although it covers the same ground, David being chosen and anointed, and a longer description of his beginnings as a psalmist. Following is Psalm 151b, which unfortunately is cut off by damage at the end of the scroll relatively close to the beginning of the psalm. It presumably describes David's battle with Goliath, though interestingly claims to be from his anointed, which took place prior to said battle. This may suggest that the composer of Psalm 151b was referring to a different version of the, of the Deuteronomic history that ended up becoming canon. Another one of the Dead Sea Scrolls' psalm scrolls, 4Q88, also contains non-canonical psalms interspersed with canonical psalms. The first of these psalms, the Eschatological Hymn, is a relatively short psalm about, as the name suggests, the eschaton, the end of the world. It contains similar descriptions as other biblical accounts, describing the removal of the wicked and satisfaction for the righteous. The next and final non-canonical psalm in this scroll is the Apostrophe to Judah, another short psalm. Similarly to the Apostrophe to Zion, it is addressed to a personified Judea and assures it glory and victory. Like before, the messianic theming could suggest a second temple or earlier date. 
There's a third scroll that contains both canonical and non-canonical psalms, 11Q11. Although unlike the former two, this scroll was likely not used liturgically, but rather as an exorcism. It contains four psalms, the last of which is a slightly altered version of Psalm 91, a psalm continually used by both Jews and Christians for exorcisms. The first three, however, are found in this scroll, but not in the Miseratic today. They were probably recited over the sick and or when one believed that they were confronted by a demon, which may have been a common conception in apocalyptic communities. The first psalm is extremely poorly preserved. Enough words can be made out to determine that it is an exorcistic psalm, using God's name to expel a demon. The second psalm is far better preserved and attributes itself to Solomon. It thematically is very similar to Psalm 91, and praises God with an emphasis on his creation of heaven and of earth and the legions that serve him. It then appeals to God to destroy the demon and send a host of angels against it. It states that the demon will be sent to Sheol in a format slightly similar to the description in Eov. It closes by saying that those possessed will be healed. Interestingly, it invokes the name of Raphael, perhaps in some link to his defeat of the demon Ashmedai in the apocryphal book of Tuvia, well known to Qumran. The final original psalm in this scroll, attributed again to David, contains many parallels to later texts. It introduces itself as a psalm to be recited to heaven when confronted by a demon at night. It describes the demon as fictional and having horns, a description paralleled in both the Aramaic incantation bowls against demons and a spell contained in the Cairo Geniza, both later works suggesting that this psalm, or some source of it, survived far later than Qumran. This psalm also finishes by stating that the demon will be sent down to Sheol. While these are the only scrolls that intersperse psalms found in the Miseratic with non-canonical psalms, there are two psalm scrolls that contain exclusively non-canonical psalms, 4Q380 and 4Q381. It's unclear whether or not these are two sections of a single work, or are two individual works, or what status these psalms held at Qumran or elsewhere. It is possible that these were simply less accepted psalms, which would also explain why they were not transmitted past the Second Temple period, or they may have been considered their own book. They are unfortunately very poorly preserved, and while I will attempt to list the individual psalms in the scroll, know that these divisions are mere conjecture. There are only two readable psalms in 4Q380. The first of these psalms, which I'll call the Psalm of Jerusalem, describes the things that God has done, such as choosing Jerusalem and Zion, and assigning prophets. It ends with a plea to the reader to praise God, and is overall relatively similar to other psalms of praise that are found in the Miseratic. The next psalm, the Psalm of Ovadia, attributes itself to the Navi Ovadia. It gives an account of people in distress who cry out to God and are saved. Thematically, this psalm bears great resemblance to Psalm 18. The next non-canonical psalm scroll, 4Q381, contains significantly more somewhat readable psalms, though they are even less preserved than the previous psalms, and I'll be going through them somewhat more quickly. The first of these psalms goes through the acts of creation God has done, a relatively common trope for psalms of praise. The next psalm is a plea for God's help and strength that describes many of God's feats. It interestingly pulls many verses directly from other psalms, most notably Psalm 89. The next, and perhaps most interesting psalm, 
introduces itself as the Psalm of the Man of God. It describes said man of God, who will redeem Judah and restore praise of God. It then describes somewhat apocalyptic events, suggesting a later date for this psalm. The next psalm attributes itself as a prayer from an unspecified king of Judah. and requests that his enemies be destroyed, also a common trope in Masoretic psalms. The next psalm is a prayer to ki of King Manasseh, but not the well-known apocryphal version, rather a previously unknown psalm that shares similar theming of confession to sin and asking for forgiveness. The next psalm is rather short, but describes a time when the righteous will be rewarded, and refers to them in possibly metaphorical terms akin to a bull, with horns and hooves, suggesting it may be derivative of the animal apocalypse from the One Enoch anthology. The next psalm is perhaps a description of Israel's shortly post-Exodus period, discussing a replacement of sinful people in a land, the teaching of God's law, and the books of Moses. The final of these psalms describes a scene of divine judgment against the people in terms somewhat derivative of the discussion in Eov. It's worth mentioning that there are many other compositions and scrolls in the Dead Sea Scrolls that contain poetic or somewhat psalmic portions. Some of these, like Barchinafshi and Hodaya poems, are clearly not parabiblical, while some of these, like the Apocryphon of Yosef and the Apocryphon of Yoshua, are parabiblical, but not strictly psalmic, and will likely be covered in a future episode. The Dead Sea Scrolls are not the only ancient manuscripts to preserve non-canonical psalms. The Elephantine Papyri are a collection of papyrus documents, written around 400 BCE by a group of Egyptian Yahwists. One of the documents, Papyrus Amherst 63, in addition to rituals to other gods, contains three ancient Israelite psalms. The first of these psalms bears striking resemblance to Psalm 20 in the Masoretic texts, but also has some very interesting differences. It lacks the Psalm of David title, suggesting it may predate the circulation of Shmuel or the Deuteronomic history. It contains references to a holy bull and Baal Shemaim, masters of the sky, which some scholars consider to be proof that they were composed during a monolatrous period in Israel meaning the belief in many gods, but the worship of one. This psalm, as well as the other three in this papyrus, use the name Yaho, meaning he blows, in place of the tetragrammaton. This earlier form of the tetragrammaton has connections to the Shasu, who lived in Egypt possibly as early as the 10th century BCE. They viewed Yaho as a storm god, and some scholars believe they were the ones who brought Yahwism to Canaan. The presence of this name in a document half a millennium later may suggest that there was continued Yahweh's practice from the Shasu to the Elephantine community in Egypt. The next psalm has strong connections to a Rosh Chodesh new month celebration and provides some insight to what a Yahwist worship might have looked like, both in and out of ancient Israel. It describes a feast and sacrifices for God and seems to refer to Yahweh in more physical and human terms, inviting him to drink of their celebration. It also describes music played on the flute and lyre, all of which may have accompanied the Rosh Chodesh festival. It refers to Yaho as among the Elim, a word which is typically translated as the mighty, or angels, in Jewish and Christian traditions, but some take this as further proof of monolatry. The third and final psalm in this papyrus is more a standard psalm of praise and request for salvation and revenge from an enemy. 
This psalm uses even more polytheistic language than the previous two, referring again to the alien and the host of heaven. It also refers to Baal Zaphon, another name for Baal Hadad familiar from the Baal cycle. There is no scholarly consensus on whether or not these references indicate polytheism more so than the other psalms in the Miseratic, but some scholars do believe this, and this is why that they weren't included in the Miseratic. Some psalms have been preserved by being incorporated into larger works. One of these such psalms is a psalm attributing itself to King David, found in the Book of Biblical Antiquities, a 2nd century CE work that covers biblical history from creation to Shaul, also called Pseudo-Philo, due to a misattribution to Philo of Alexandria. This psalm is found right after David is anointed by Shmuel in the text, and is presented as David's celebration of being anointed. It is unclear if this psalm ever existed outside of the text of biblical antiquities, but some scholars do consider it to be an older work that was incorporated in. It begins by stating that David will praise and glorify God forever. He then compares himself to Hevel, Abel, stating that while Hevel was favored but then killed, David will be kept in favor forever, a possible allusion to the Mashiach ben David. He goes on to describe how he is protected by angels, despite the envy of his brothers and the uncaring of his parents. He describes how he was not initially considered to be anointed by either his family or Shmuel, but God chose him anyway, and therefore he will continue to compose these psalms. Later, in the same work, another psalm is quoted. It is contained in an account of David driving the Ruach Hara, bad spirit, out of Shaul, presented here as an exorcism with the psalm being the song David used for the exorcism. The literary style of this psalm is more dissimilar from the rest of the work than it was in the previous psalm, so there is a greater scholarly consensus that it was once an independent work. The psalm presents an account of creation, followed by the creation of demons, and rebukes it as a secondary creature. The psalm threatens the demon with Tartarus, suggesting Hellenistic influence in either the psalm's writing or translation. The psalm offers appeasement through song and threatens that the reciter's issue will subdue the demon, likely a reference to the various legends of Shlomo, Solomon, controlling demons. The text then says the psalm was successful in driving out the demon. Another text that incorporates a psalm is an Egyptian silver amulet meant to protect the wearer from demons. It contains multiple compositions in multiple languages, leading many scholars to conclude that it was copied from a larger book containing many spells and exorcisms. One of the compositions is in Aramaic, and contains within it yet another psalm claiming to be the exorcism David used on Shaul. Though the amulet itself was written around the 5th century CE, this text is likely older and could possibly even date to the Second Temple period. The psalm is poorly preserved, and it's unclear well when it ends and when the encapsulating exorcism begins again, so my explanation will be somewhat conjectural. It begins by addressing God, not the demon, and requests salvation from demons and sicknesses. It then switches to praising God and refers to him as the creator of spirits, presumably implying that he therefore controls them. It switches yet again to addressing the demon correctly, saying God will rebuke it the same way he rebukes the Satan, presumably a reference to Eov. It concludes with a formula somewhat familiar from other Jewish prayers from antiquity, assigning angels and holy entities to various directions around the speaker. It places Harbiel on the right, an angel name familiar from a few other amulets, but really nowhere else, 
Azriel on the left, a well-known name for the angel of death, the Shrina, or presence, above, and the holy camp, Machne, in front, a reference to Yaakov encountering angels as he left Levan. Yet another psalm containing to be the exorcism David used on Shaul is found in one of the many Aramaic incantation bowls used by Jews in antiquity. These bowls would be buried beneath houses. This bowl was used to keep demons away from a house, and contains a number of texts against demons, one of which is this psalm. It opens by evoking God as the Lord of the legions enthroned on the Kruvim, perhaps an allusion to the many stories of God sending angels to subdue demons found in texts like Sifrei Chanoch and Tuvia. It states that it is against all affliction, demons, spirit, sickness, and the Ayin Hara, the evil eye. The presence of these different classifications for different views of demons may suggest a later date in terms of the complication of Jewish demonology. It concludes by urging the reader to give God glory, requests the demons to leave from the house, and a familiar blessing formula praising God for healing the sick. Another psalm that survived by being incorporated into another work can be found in a Cairo Geniza manuscript of Ben Sirah. The 51st and final chapter of Ben Zira serves as sort of an anthology, containing two poems in the Greek version. The Hebrew from the Cairo Geniza, however, contains another composition in between these two. It is incredibly unlikely that this was part of the original book written by Ben Zira, and was probably added later, and once an independent composition. The psalm uses a structure familiar from the many Miseratic psalms of thanking God for something, followed by Kilo Am Chasteo for his kindness is forever. It uses the same formula with many titles of God, the God of praises, the guardian of Israel, the creator of all, redeemer of Israel, etc. It brings up many biblical figures, including David, the Avot, the patriarchs, and interestingly, Tzadok HaKohen, the priest Tzadok, which may suggest that it was written by a group of Kohanim. It then concludes with the final verse of Psalm 148. And that concludes the many psalms that are not in the Miseratic. It is possible that by scouring the Dead Sea Scrolls, amulets, incantation bowls, and a host of other sources, further psalms may come to light. The diversity of location, language of survival, and format of these psalms gives great insight into the centuries-long habit of comprising such hymns, and gives a greater appreciation towards the Miseratic. These surviving parabiblical psalms are a mere window into this rich world of hymns, praises, and exorcisms that once existed, and I am optimistic that in the future we will know increasingly more of this amazing and diverse genre. And so concludes Parabiblica for the Perplexed Psalms. As these episodes take time to research and write, and because I can never again say the word psalm the same way for having said it so much, I would really appreciate if you could give this program a good rating and review. Thanks so much for listening, and come back next month for Parabiblica or the Perplexed Psalmonic Literature.